do give you all praise, Jesus. Because you're worthy of all praise and you're worthy of all honor. And uh, we do uh, this morning, Lord, it's just uh, sing of your goodness. You are a good and faithful God. We love you and pray all this in your name. Amen. I know, right? Wasn't that wonderful? Yes. They were rehearsing that song this morning, and I said, that's going to be another one, you know, that, uh, that I hear on the radio later and go, eh, they don't do it as well as our worship team does. But, uh, all right, so kids, good morning. I heard someone just say lesson time. <laughs> How'd you, huh? Good. I'm so glad. All right, so today, I don't know if you know this or not, but what I've been trying to do is every week when I do your lesson, I try to make your lesson be almost about the same thing that I'm teaching the grown-ups later. They're just not as smart as you, so it takes longer to explain it to them than it does you, okay? So what we're talking about today is choosing, okay? What does it mean to choose something? And sometimes when we say choose, we also use the word pick. Have you ever done that? I'm going to pick this. I'm going to pick that. Right? That kind of thing. But it's not really the same thing, and I'll show you why. You know I always bring a prop. Last week's prop was so much better because it was clay, but I had to bring something today, right? So in this brown paper bag, there was a bag of lollipops. True. I would not lie to you. I also know that you're not allowed to have any of them until after class today. So, but what if I was to open this brown bag and you can't see and I tell you to close your eyes and just reach in and get one lollipop? That would be picking a lollipop. Would that be choosing a lollipop? No. It wouldn't be choosing because to choose, you want to be able to see all the different options, right? You want to be able to see the different colors and see the different flavors. You might pick your favorite color. You might pick your favorite flavor. You might pick a brand new one that you've never had before, right? Because you're feeling adventurous. Like, ooh, that's different. I want to try that one, right? That would be choosing. So what does that have to do with what I'm teaching today? Well, what I'm teaching today, I'm going to give this to Mr. Josh for after class, but so what I'm teaching about today is how God chooses us. Did you know that? That God chose you? And here's something else. God didn't just close his eyes and pick you. God knew you before you were born. He sees you and he chooses you. Isn't that amazing? Yes, that is so cool. And that's what I want you to remember. The whole point of this is so this afternoon at lunch or tonight at dinner, you can talk to your parents about what you remember about what I said, and you can quiz them to see if they remember anything I said too, okay? <laughs> is that fair? Okay, so you go to class. I'm going to let Mr. Josh take the bag of lollipops, and then he's going to pass them out after class when everybody really needs that extra burst of sugar before they go home. All right? Fair enough? All right. So good morning, officially, um, to all of you online, especially. Um, I know my sister Bonnie's down in Florida, which means she's probably showing this to my mom, so I'm duly obligated to say hi, Mom, as well to her. Um, but also so glad you're here. 
I've had three cups of coffee this morning. Three, which means a 35-minute sermon is going to be done in about five minutes for various reasons, okay? But just hang with me. It's going to be a, a good day. Um, I am excited that we're all back together again. I was a little concerned about the weather this morning. Some people come in with damp hair. I finally realized there is an advantage to this. One quick squeegee and I'm good, right? So, um, but yeah, we had people show up. And so that's a wonderful thing. For those of you watching at home, I am glad that you're there as well. We are going to be continuing today in our series on the book of Romans. Romans is the most systematic and developed doctrinal book of the Apostle Paul. And that sounds so like, oof, like, you know, I'm going to fall asleep in college kind of statement. There is so much to learn from Romans that we could quite easily go through Romans in a year or more. Okay? But what we've decided to do instead is just look at some of the highlights from Romans. Like if you'll remember the first week we talked about the problem of sin, where it comes from, where it originates, all of that. The next week, we looked at our rescue from sin through the blood of Jesus, through our salvation. Last week, if you were with us, you'll remember that we talked about righteousness, what that means to, to walk in righteousness with Jesus and unity with him. So recently, like, let's see, we're, we're, this is the end of February. Isn't that crazy? I mean, tomorrow is the last day of February already. But, but just a couple weeks ago, we celebrated Valentine's Day. And for some people, that's like no big deal. For other people, it's kind of still a, a big, you know, romantic day, that kind of thing, right? And I think back to the days when Angie and I were first dating and all the, the grand gestures, you know, the flowers and the dinner and the candy and all that kind of stuff, right? And, and this year, Valentine's Day was just the two of us at home. She made dinner for me. And we just enjoyed each other's company. That was Valentine's Day. She did sneak out and get me a whatchamacallit candy bar, which I'd forgotten how much I like, but I, re I really did enjoy that too. And uh, so I, I thought that that was kind of a, a neat little surprise there. But what I noticed while I was kind of checking online at people's posts on Valentine's Day, how often the sentiment was stated about how much they loved their valentine and it occurred to me that they that's someone they chose and not only just someone they chose but someone they continue to choose every day through the good through the bad through the sick through the healthy everything and it, it's a it's a wonderful feeling to feel chosen right so that's what we're going to be looking at today, is the truth that we have also been chosen. There's a powerful insight that Paul shares with us um, from Romans chapter 9, this amazing news that God has chosen us to be his special possession. He's the ultimate authority. God offers mercy, yet he also hardens hearts. He's, he's the potter. And we are the clay. And we're wise to allow him to shape us into the people that he wants us to be. And since God has chosen us, it's a gift that we get the chance to choose him back, isn't it? 
So I'm going to pray for us as we get started today, as we dig into this whole idea of what it means to be chosen by God. Father God, thank you for choosing us. Thank you for choosing love when we were lost in sin and disobedience. Help us to accept your love and mercy today as gifts that you have freely given to us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you have your Bibles with you, your Bible apps, whatever uh, that may be, we're going to be in Romans chapter 9. We're going to start in verse 14. It's a big section, kind of like last week, but I'm just going to read through it, and then we're going to kind of break it down a little bit, okay? So Romans 9, 14 begins like this. What shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it, it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose, I have raised you up, that I might show my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So then, he has mercy on whomever he wills, and he hardens whomever he wills. You will say to me then, why does he still find fault? For who can resist his will? But who are you, O man, to answer back to God? Will what is molded say to its molder, why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? What if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy, which he has prepared beforehand for glory. Even us whom he has called, not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles, as indeed he says in Hosea, those who were not my people, I will call my people. And her who is not beloved, I will call beloved. It's a lot to unpack. But it's, it's clear right up front in our passage that God has the final authority. He gets to choose who he shows mercy to and whose heart he hardens. And sometimes we don't understand this. Sometimes this idea just kind of puts us off a little bit, doesn't it? I mean, maybe it's just me, but I remember as a kid hearing the story of Pharaoh, right? And remember reading how God hardened Pharaoh's heart. And I thought, well, that's kind of a raw deal for Pharaoh, isn't it? It's kind of hard to imagine. Why, why would God do that? Why would God harden anyone's heart for any reason? And yet we are called in faith to trust that his ways are greater than ours. That he sees what we can't. He sees that whole picture, which is why his sovereign will is greater than ours. Every Christian that I've ever met 
has someone in their life who does not believe in God. Or, even more heartbreaking, somebody who once professed Jesus and then walked away. Maybe because they were hurt by the church, maybe because they were hurt by an individual or, or something else, but they just hardened their heart. And if you think for just a moment as I'm saying these words, that person is coming to your mind, it's not hard. We all have them in our lives. And that doesn't mean that we're not supposed to pursue them, that we're not supposed to continue to pray for them, that we're not supposed to love them and show them God's love and show them His mercy. All of those things. But it's God's will, ultimately. And sometimes I ask myself, God, why? Why won't these people come to know you? Why won't they turn their you know, why, won't, why did they turn their back to you? Why is their heart so hard toward you? It's a reality for us all that we don't fully know how God works. However, here's what we can be sure of. When God chooses us, it's God's choice. God chooses us. And this is the topic that we're going to be talking about as we move forward today. There's some key components to God's choice to, to use us and to call us his special possession. Even from the beginning of creation itself, God chose to create human beings differently. We're, we're called his image bearers in the creation account. And in Genesis, there's actually two separate creation accounts. Uh, Genesis 1.27 reminds us, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. But in Genesis 2.7, which is a little more beautiful, a little more poetic, it says this in Genesis 2.7, Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground, and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. It's incredible to read about how God formed us. He didn't speak mankind into existence like he did the rest of creation. Has that ever occurred to you? This account is completely separate and different than God creating the animals and the fish and the birds and everything else is just sort of short-changed, boom, boom, boom. I don't know how he did it. I'll ask him someday. Maybe he'll tell me. But the biblical account says something more beautiful, more poetic, because we are image bearers of God. But then, we, we, we know from that that he wanted us to be intentionally set apart, but what happened in Genesis 3, as we talked about before, then sin enters into humanity, we let God down, right? We, we fall short of his standard for us. We allowed sin in our lives to distort God's image. We allowed ourselves to believe things that weren't true about God. But the good news today is that God's image on each of us is not destroyed because of that. Just as our Romans passage talks about, God gets to decide who and what he uses to accomplish his purpose. And for some reason, even amidst our flaws and sins, God chose us to be used by him. 
I mean, this truth should allow us to feel joyful, allow us to feel honored and privileged, right? However, the, the key component amidst all of this is that we are broken beings. God chose to enter into a broken relationship with broken human beings in order to bring about redemption and reconciliation. He doesn't need us at all. But what a, what a beautiful and poignant example of grace that he would use us anyway. Paul, in our Romans 9 passage, he talks about a potter. And he claims the potter has the right to choose what he does with the clay. No matter how it looks, no matter what its purpose is for. Now, God could have easily, as I just said, passed us by and accomplished his purposes some other way. But he wanted us. He wanted to use us. And here's one big reason why I think this is. When broken people are used by a whole God, he gets all the glory. When broken people are used by a whole God, God gets all the glory. So turn with me over to Acts for a second. Chapter 9, verse 1. Very familiar passage. Acts 9, chapter 1 says this. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, that's people following Jesus, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus. And suddenly, a light from heaven shone around him, and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. This Saul figure, this same guy who wrote Romans, Paul. This was a man who once persecuted the message that he is now preaching. He killed believers in Jesus Christ because he thought it was the most righteous thing to do. He thought their message was contrary to God's. But then Paul has this encounter with Jesus himself and the rest, as I say, is history. Paul went on to become one of the most effective people for spreading the gospel in history because he knew that he had a story to tell. He knew what it meant to be transformed. He had a story of how Jesus saw him in his sin and his flaws, and he wanted to use him anyway. Saul, who became Paul, into an empowered and impassioned man. And this type of story doesn't have to stay in the Bible. I believe that God desires to rewrite your story the same way, my story the same way. You know, maybe you've been questioning whether God even loves you anymore because you feel as if you're too far gone. You ever had a moment like that in life? 
Maybe for you, you believe the lie that God certainly couldn't use you because you're not perfect. I've said this before. The imperfect line starts right here. We can just, like, we'll just go this way and we'll wrap it around the building. I believe it's in his use of imperfection that he receives the most glory. He's been doing it this way for thousands of years. I mean, think about it. From the first pages of the Bible to the last, the disciples on back into the, the prophets, the judges, everyone in the Old Testament. I mean, these people all belonged on the island of misfit toys. Okay, I mean, these, really, we're not the, the, maybe the smartest or the best. But he used them. Here's the reality for everyone. You and I can't earn God's love. There was a, a pastor who once said to me, he, he said, God loves us as much right now as he ever will. And for half a second, because I'm me, I get a little nervous about that fact. But then if you, if you hear these words a different way, another way to put it is God can't love you any more than he already does. He's not a God who fluctuates back and forth, you know? He doesn't love us less when we screw up, thank God, or more when we preach a good sermon or tithe or volunteer in the church nursery or whatever the case may be. And that should give us great comfort. And it's the same with God's mercy. What's true about his love is true about his mercy. Paul makes it very clear that we can't do anything to work for God's mercy. If we could, we'd be driven to this performance-based Christianity, which all of us already fall short of. We know this. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. If you remember nothing else from today when your kids are quizzing you later, I want you to remember this statement. It's God's job to be perfect, not ours. There's a, a thing in the maker community, okay? And, and this is for anyone who builds or designs or makes anything, whether, it's, uh, whether you do artwork, whether you maybe create like clothing, or you, you build furniture with wood, or you, you build a 3D printed R2D2, whatever it is, okay? Whatever it is. There's this concept that I was introduced to in the maker community. This happens a lot at conventions um, because you have a lot of creative people around you know, with their costumes or their props or whatever it is. And, and somebody taught me this idea of the five-foot rule. And the five-foot rule basically says this. From five feet away, it looks perfect. But you ask the maker, even from five feet away, and they can point to it and go, well, the paint's off there. That wasn't sanded quite right. I dropped a stitch. You know, I, I goofed this up. I didn't use the right color. Whatever it is, ask the maker. They can tell you this. It is so true. I am not a perfectionist. But when it comes to that, I believe it because I've experienced it. And, and, and here's, here's the, the real kicker okay, is that I used to also be that way about myself. There were these perfect Christians. You know the ones, right? 
I've referred to them before as super Christians. You know, they're the ones that, they got it all together. I mean, I don't know how they do it, okay? But what I realized as I got to know these people is that they're only perfect Christians from five feet away. The more you get to know them, the more real they become, the more the trust develops between the two of you and you realize, hey, none of us are perfect. Again, hear me, it's God's job to be perfect, not ours. God's gift to us is this, that he chose us before we even had the opportunity to choose him. He knew us before we ever knew him. He knew our strengths, he knew our weaknesses, he knew our victories, our defeats, he knew everything. There's this great verse in Jeremiah. Jeremiah 1.5, it says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Now this is, is specific to Jeremiah. Because in his case, God formed, knew, and set him apart before birth. Now, we might not be the next prophets to Israel that were appointed by God. But this idea of being formed and known runs congruent through the Bible. If you go to Psalm 139, beginning verse 13, it says, For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. I love God's word. I love how alive God's word is. I love the impact of the Holy Spirit. When I'm reading something like this, and it could be the hundredth time I've read it, and I know I am fearfully and wonderfully made, and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit smacks me right up in the back of the head and says, no, pay attention to the later part. The later part. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them. The days were formed for me before there were even days. And here's what I think of when I, when I read this passage. I think of an artist looking at a blank canvas. Because I'm not an artist. All I see is a blank canvas. But the artist looks at it and they start to see it. What it's going to be. This beautiful picture. It's like an author looking at a blank page. And knowing what they're going to write. Knowing what's going to end up there. It's like a woodcarver holding a log in their hand and a knife in this hand or maybe that hand if they're left-handed or whatever the case may be. And they already know what this is going to be. We don't. Or a potter with a lump of clay. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. The days that were formed for me, when, those days didn't even exist yet. You were formed, known, and chosen. 
These are powerful words. They're words to help us understand our identity as a new creation, alive with Christ and redeemed by God. You know, God's plan for your life originated long before today. His love for you isn't based on the fact that you decided to come here today despite the rain and everything else. It's not based on anything that you have or haven't done in your life. It was his choice. It's his prerogative. Don't get that song stuck in your head. It was his decision. There are numerous examples in history of God choosing ordinary people to do extraordinary things. You know, we, t we talked about Paul earlier, right? But there's so many others. Look at Abraham. He was a pagan. King David was a shepherd. Ruth, the Moabite. Mary, the mother of Jesus. Peter, the uneducated fisherman who became the chief disciple. Not to mention all the examples of people outside the Bible, people outside those pages that God has empowered and God uses for extraordinary purposes. And when we use terms like ordinary and extraordinary, we have to remember that those are descriptions that are based on our perspective of reality, not God's. God calls his chosen people, and that includes us now. He calls us his treasured possessions. When Israel stood at the base of Mount Sinai, God gave her this outstanding proposal. He said this, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all people. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. The, the Hebrew word that, that's translated as treasured possession, so here, here's your Hebrew for today, is this word here. It's pronounced segula. Oh, it's not coming up on the screen right, so I'm sorry. It's pronounced segula. Every time this word appears in Scripture, it, is, it talks about God's people. But the ancient Hebrew language, it really means like a, a, a valuable treasure. It means an heirloom. Now, here's, here's the interesting thing about an heirloom. How many of you have ever received something from a family member, a keepsake or something? Yeah, we all have one, right? And it's not necessarily valuable by the world's standards. When my dad was still alive, he, he visited um, one time and was helping me do some work. And it was right on the cusp of when he was getting ready to retire and he just wasn't going to do this kind of stuff anymore. And he had, a, had this old electric power drill, the craftsman. The, the casing is metal, okay? It's, I, I have no idea how old, but he had, he's had this drill since I've been alive. And he was up, we were working together, and he asked me if I had a drill at the time. I was young, I didn't have a lot of tools. I said, no, he gave it to me. He said, take this, I'm not going to use it anymore. He said, if I'm smart, I'm going to get out of doing this kind of work anyway, so you take it. So I still have that drill. 
The truth is this. If you plug that drill in and pull the trigger, it will shock the heck out of you. I don't know if it's because it's made of metal. I don't know if it's because of the age. I don't know what it is. It will literally like, you know, so I don't use it. I haven't used it in decades, but it sits in my garage. It sits on a peg in my garage because my father gave it to me because as I mentioned a couple weeks ago, the gift connects the giver to the receiver. So my dad gave me that, that drill, and, and, and it's more about the relationship that it reminds me of. And that's what this word means. We are God's treasured possession because of the relationship that God desires to have between us and him. We are his treasured possession not because of our intrinsic value, but because of that very fact, that relationship, that connection that, that makes his story become our story. So I want you to leave today knowing that he chose to love you. That he chose to love us. Amen? Amen. All right. Let me ask the worship team to come up. Lord, we thank you for so much. But just the astounding fact that you've chosen each of us. And Lord, I pray that for those in our lives whose hearts are hardened, that we continue to pursue them so that they will know you. Because the decision of who gets chosen and who doesn't get chosen, Lord, is yours. But we are called to reach the masses. We are called to reach those who we love, our neighbors, our community, everyone. Father, as, as the world seems to be in more turmoil lately, I just, I just ask for your presence. I ask, Lord, that you would just come, that you would drop us all to our knees in prayer to you because it's your will that needs to be done, not ours. We pray all this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. That's our story. Remember, it's not our job to be perfect. It's God's job to be perfect. It's our job to show up, to participate in what God's doing to further his kingdom. So have a blessed week. We'll see you next time. Thank you. Thank you. You too.